Okay, let's turn in our Bibles then to Galatians chapter 5 as we continue our study. Last Lord's Day we stopped at verse 10. So we want to pick up at verse 10 again and uh, go on from there. Um, Paul says, I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachers or teachings. And God will judge that person, whoever he is, who has been confusing you. That's something we need to remember. For those who we know are false teachers, who are teaching heresy, we need to be mindful that we can trust the Lord to deal with them. Uh, because He will. And uh, we don't have to go to the extent of judging that person because God is the judge. He's the one who's going to judge them. And so, again, we are looking at legalism and how dangerous, dangerous legalism is and how we need to be mindful that we ought not be caught up in it. Because even when we don't think about it, we ourselves may be guilty of legalism. But legalism brings judgment on its teachers. And we need to be mindful of that. And Paul was very, very confident that the Galatians would reject these false teachings. Now, we cannot all be too confident of that today because we have many, many believers who are under sound biblical teaching and yet they're still listening to false teachers. They're still listening to them and getting carried away by some of the things that they say. And so this is very, very uh, relevant today as it was in Paul's day. And Paul is confident that the Galatians would reject these false teachers. He's, his confidence was in the Lord, which may mean that the Lord had given Paul the assurance that he'll take care of it. Or, Paul could have been assured that the Galatians would follow the teachings of his letter, this letter that he's writing to them, and, uh, and that they will be able to deal with the false teachers. He knew that the good, that the great shepherd would restore his wandering sheep. He was absolutely confident of that. And, uh, and if not through dealing with them directly, then dealing with them through this letter that Paul was writing to them. As for false teachers themselves, they are going to be punished by God. We can be assured of that. You see, it's a serious, it's a serious, very serious thing to teach error. Many people are not conscious of the fact that how serious that is, but it's a very serious thing. Uh, because error, teaching error can really wreck a church. And we've seen it happen over and over again. It can ruin a church, destroy the church of God. You going to say something? Yeah, but I'm saying, they may be sellers, right? But they're not even conscious. Because look at Paul. Paul was preaching before, uh, before he came on. He was, I mean, he was killing Christians. You know, you could be uh, exactly you could think you're right, but you could be wrong. I thought, yeah, that's what Paul Paul was, and he he, he came to I came to a saving knowledge. But there there are people who are doing that, and they're just like Paul was. They think they're right. Well, he was wrong with his and all these people. They say they're right. Mm hmm. And that's why we need but to they're pray. Wrong. They're they're wrong, yeah. But we know that God we know that God is gonna deal with them, right? We are saying that anyhow, I don't know. <laughs> you have to leave something to God because if it's you know it comes across my mind. Mm. How could um sister Betty and Terry them say all oh, things when you get us good? 
What is good about it? That's what, yeah, the, 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 what's good is that they, they weren't shot. The fellow had a gun and they weren't shot. Well, I told Marilyn last night, she said, thank God that happened, because if they would have been on the flight to Florida, and Terry's problem, that right, she said, yes, there you go. What kind of cause would that talk to go to all or something to travel, to move something to do with blood possibly? There you go. For the remedy, you see, what a lot of people forget, I don't want, I'm not trying to take over your problem. No, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Adam needs sin. And because of that, you're going to have a lot of these things. And you have to give it to God that He's going to work things out in your life. We, we say, yeah, well, look what happened. That shouldn't happen. Well, that's all human nature. Remember, the scripture says, in this world you will have what? Tribulation. What is tribulation? What is tribulation? Trouble. Trouble, problems, difficulties, right? Hardships. And Satan's going to buffer us. The Bible also says, many are the of who? Not the unsaved. The righteous. Exactly. Alright, that's why that's why you can say praise the Lord, to God be the glory, all things work together for good. And you should be careful how you pray for faith. If you ask God to give you more faith, He'll give you more trials. That's what, that's what faith is all about. <laughs> You can't. You can't. Look at the, the lives of all of the apostles. Every single one of them died a violent death, except for John. All of them had hardships. All of them died a violent death, except for one. In this world, we will have trials. We will have difficulties. We're going to have hardships. Look at the apostle Paul. Paul gave us a list, a catalog of all the things that he went through. In his writings to the Corinthian believers. From shipwreck to beatings. The man, they almost beat the man to death. They beat him so bad they thought he was dead and they left him. That's how bad they beat him. I had a Bible teacher tell me when I was in Bible school that when Paul went into a town, he went for the nearest jail because he knew where he was to spend the night. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. Paul was, was in and out of jail. In and out of jail. And, and see, that's, that, that's one of the things that we need to be mindful of. The believer is not exempt. As long as we are above ground and breathing, you got problems. You're going to win, yeah, you're going to win. You know, but notice, now when you, when you go through these trials, and when you come out of them, don't you have a lot to praise God for? Amen. You've got a testimony. Amen. You see, some people think testimony is just talking about the day they got saved. Testimony is talking about all of the things that God does in our lives, day in and day out. All those circumstances and difficulties that we go through, that God delivers us from. They're testimonies. They're testimonies. I, I know my that's right. Well, what what about Jesus when he was when he was being beaten and crucified? You know, uh, God allowed that. 
You know, God could have sent 10,000 angels and delivered them on the spot. But he allowed it. And you thank God, right? That he delivered you. Right? And you can testify of how faithful God is. In the God, in being the God who is there. That's one of his names. The God who is there. You see, many times people go through difficulties and they think that God is absent. He's somewhere else dealing with somebody else's problem. But he's right there. I dare them, I dare them to pull that trigger. I dare them to pull that trigger. You see, we live in a timeline frame, right? We can't see down 20 years down the road. God's up there, he looks down, he sees 20 years down the road. He knows what he's going to do. He knows what it's going to come to Yeah, it's like a procession, it's like a parade. You stand on the side of the road, you see the parade as it passes. God sees the whole parade at once. And that's how it is in our lives. God sees the whole picture. You see? Nothing catches him by surprise. It would be. It'll be a life of doubt. Because you'll wonder whether you're saved or not. Well, the person who's going through a whole lot of difficulty, sometimes people look at them and says, Boy, you must be look like, like Job. Boy, you must be sinning a lot, but you must have done something really bad for, for God to be putting it on you like this. But that's not always the case, as we see. And God gave us that, that story of Job so that we can see that. You know, sometimes we look at other believers and what they're going through, and it's one problem after another, and then we judge them. And we say, boy, they must be living bad, or something must be wrong in their lives, and God you know, punishing them for it. But that's not always the case. And God gave us the life of Job to tell us that it's not always the case. Job's three friends came, and that's exactly what they accused him of. You must have committed some sin, and God is dealing with you. But it's not always the case. So we need to be very, very careful that we don't judge people when they go into a lot of hardships. Because sometimes we often think that the hardship is associated with sin, but it's not always the case. The other scenario when someone's going through a lot and we don't know, you're thinking, wow, that person's, you know, all fine and dandy. Nothing's happened to them and you don't know what's going on in their lives. Yeah, they don't say nothing. Yeah. No, but some things happen to them and you just don't know it. I don't know if a person living in a donut problems. Yeah, that's right. Everybody got problems. Everybody got problems. If you don't have no problems, then you need to wonder if you're saved. Why why is the devil not bothering with you? And he's bothering with so many other Christians. Because you're not doing anything to affect his program and his agenda. You are in his program. You're on board. You're not doing anything to, to cause hemorrhaging and hemorrhaging in hell, as it were. Alright, so we need to be very, very conscious and careful of how we think about the suffering of the saints when they're going through what they're going through. There's a passage that says he whom thou lovest is sick. Remember that? Lazarus. He whom thou lovest is sick. That in itself tells us that those whom God loves will get sick. They will get sick. And that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with sin. As Brother David said, that's to do with sin. From the original time when sin came into the world. When Adam and Eve sinned, they brought down a whole lot of stuff on, on the whole human race. And from that point on, Suffering of the human race for sin began, but not all suffering is associated with sin. It's a part of the makeup of where we are in this world. 
And so we want to be mindful of that. Yeah. And Lazarus was a believer. And look at the life he lived. Eating the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. But the Bible makes it very clear what happened to Lazarus when he died and what happened to the rich man when he died. Okay, the rich man had a big pompous procession and big service, funeral service on earth. It made everybody think that he went directly into heaven. But Lazarus was carried by the angels. <laughs> what do people say? Bust hell wide open? But Paul, back to our study now, Paul is talking about uh, legalism and how we need to be cautious and conscious of the false teachers and how they're going to be dealt with and how, how, how dangerous and how serious it is for them to wreck the church of God. But notice, this, it's much worse, for instance, to teach that drunkenness is, is permissible than to be a drunkard yourself. It's much worse to teach it than to be a drunkard yourself. Because the false teacher makes scores of other believers just like himself. Scores of them. Hundreds of them. The false teacher makes like himself. Look at the Jehovah's Witnesses. Everywhere you go, more than likely they've been there. I know I told you all by the time we went into to, to, um, Columbia, South Carolina, went into this neighborhood, Every house we went to, people thought we were Jehovah's Witnesses. And it got to the point where I said, you know what? We better tell the people up front we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. So the next house we went to, I went to the door. The lady answered the door. And I said, don't worry, ma'am. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. The woman said, well, I am. Bam! <laughs> well, that didn't go work. <laughs> I said, that didn't go work. But then Jehovah's Witness already had the area covered. They were well ahead of us. Well, we can look, we can use that line no more. I mean, those guys are so vigilant. They even lying now. Fellow came to the office and saved us with the public service. He, if he knew, he knew if he said Jehovah's Witness, I was gonna let him in. Okay, verse 11. Dear brothers and sisters, if I was still preaching that you must be circumcised, as some say I do, why would the Jews persecute me? The fact that I am still being persecuted proves that I am still preaching salvation through the cross of Christ alone. Okay, one of the things about legalism. Uh, that Paul brings out here is that legalism does away with the offense of the cross. That's one of the things that you can, you can identify legalism with. It does away with the offense of the cross. Any, any denomination, any, any religion that doesn't want to have anything to do with the cross, then you can, you can look at that, that particular religion or entity cross-eyed because they are steeped in legalism. Paul now answers the, the absurd charge. He answers the charge that they were accusing him of. That even he at times preached the necessity for circumcision. He is still suffering persecution at the hands of the Jews. This persecution would stop instantly if he preached persecution. Because that would mean that he had abandoned the preaching of the cross. 
The cross is an offense to man. Those who do not follow the teachings of the scripture, to them the cross is an offense. It offends him because he stumbles over it. Because it tells him there's nothing he can do upon, of, in and of himself to earn his salvation. It does, it has no, it gives no place for the flesh. It gives no place for self-effort. It spells an end to human works. And so if Paul were to introduce works by preaching circumcision, then he would be setting aside the whole meaning of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what they were accusing him of. And so Paul says, if I'm still preaching uh, circumcision, I have laid aside the cross. Well, then why am I still persecuted? Verse 12. Verse 12. 5.12. Galatians 5.12. Got it? Yeah, Galatians 5, verse 12. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is the apostles' wish? That the, 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 the troublemakers would cut themselves off from the Galatians. That's the, the you could you could you could uh, look at that literally. He wishes that they would be castrated. They were they were enthusiastic in using the knife to circumcise others. Now let them use the life knife to circumcise themselves to become eunuchs. Paul is saying. I wish they would just circumcise themselves. Is what he is saying, and it's, it's probably preferable to take the words figuratively. In other words, Paul's wish was that the false teachers would actually just cut themselves off from these Galatians. Just leave them alone. Leave them alone. You see, the gospel of grace has always been accused of permitting men to live as they feel like. In fact, there, there are people who have been... Uh, we've been run to people who accused us of wanting to be Christians because we can do whatever we feel like and get away with it. Remember um, witnessing to a young lady in, in um, Savannah, Georgia one time. And she said that, you know, she don't want to be no Christian because, you know, these Christians can do whatever they feel like and get away with it. And, and, and she don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. If salvation is by faith alone, then there's no control over a person's conduct afterwards. But the apostle is quick to point out that Christian liberty does not mean license to sin. The believer's standard is the life of the Lord Jesus. And love for Christ impels him to hate sin and to love holiness. But there are many today who are using salvation, their salvation as a license to sin. They can sin and they can get away with it by saying, Oh, the Lord is gracious, the Lord is kind, the Lord is forgiving. He'll forgive me. They are, they are going through, they are, they are exposed to the dangers of legalism because 
they're using their, their salvation as a means to do whatever they feel like that is contrary to the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Contract not consistent with what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching. Love and holiness. Purity of life. The Lord says, be holy as I am holy. And so it's not a license to sin. But then it was, it was necessary for Paul to warn his readers against license here because many of them were involved in it. When men have been under the restraints of the law for some time and are then granted their freedom, there's always the danger of going from one extreme, one extreme of bondage to that of carelessness. You have been captive for so long. You know, I remember a young fellow who came from the island one time and uh, everything was so restrictive on the island. When he got to Nassau, he was like a wild man. He just couldn't control himself. And this is what Paul is talking about here. Uh, coming from extreme bondage, we need to be careful of the carelessness that we will find ourselves subjected to. The proper balance is that liberty which lies between law and license. That is the balance that we need to find. The Christian is free from the law, but the Christian is not lawless. Legalism allows the Christian to, la- to act as if he is lawless. Look at verse 13. For you are being called to live in freedom. Not freedom to satisfy your sinful nature, but freedom to serve one another in love. Okay, freedom for what? To serve. Is serving an automatic thing that people do? No. No. When you serve, it is an indication that you have the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. What does the Bible say? The love of God has been shared abroad where? In our hearts for what? That we may use it to do what? Serve one another. What did Jesus do while he was on earth? Serve. He told, he told, he told the, 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 the Pharisees that he came to do what? To seek and to save. He was a servant. Uh, and he, when, he, when, he, when he washed his disciples' feet, he was exemplifying what? Servanthood. That he came to serve. And so the love of God has been shared upon in our hearts that we may serve. But notice he says, you have not been called to freedom. So that you can use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Tells us that the sinful nature is still there. It's not gone away. It's not been eradicated as some people teach. It's still there lurking, waiting for an opportunity. Remember what uh, um, um, God told Cain when he killed his brother? He says, beware, sin stands at the door. Ready to pounce upon you. And that's what the old nature is like. It's right there. It's, it's, it's just waiting. <laughs> Christian liberty does not permit sin. Instead, it encourages loving service. Love is seen as a motive for all Christian behavior. And so, it doesn't mean that we are to show love to only those who show love to us. But the Bible reminds us that we are to love our enemies. Boy, now that's hard, isn't it? Because sometimes the enemy does some things to you that really hurt you to the bone. And it, and, and, and it is not always easy that you can get over it. 
You know, sometimes people do something and they say, oh, get over it. It's not, it's not that easy. But, he, but God tells us that we are to demonstrate love towards such people. In such circumstances, love is seen as a motive for all Christian behavior, not some behavior. All Christian behavior. Now, hmm? love is exemplifying what God has done for us. What does John 3.16 says? For God so loved that he did what? Gave his only begotten son. And we see that. We see that exemplified in, in, um, in Abraham, and Abraham was told to give Isaac his son. He said, God says, take Isaac, your only son. That was an, that was, that's an example of love right there. Love for who? For God. Abraham loved God and obeyed God to such an extent that he was willing to do exactly what God said he was, God told him to do. Even though God told him that from this son will come all your generations. He loved God so much. He trusted. Love is, is um, you could say it's, it's unparalleled devotion. Trust. You love a person so much. Ever heard of stories where, um, uh, heard of stories where a husband hired somebody to kill a husband? And the, the whole thing got found out. And it didn't happen. And uh, the wife refused to press, the husband refused to press charges even though he knew what his wife was going to do. Because he said he loved her. Doesn't matter what, he, what, what, what she tried to do. Love. Love is doing what others really can't anticipate that you would do. When God gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, he knew what would happen to him before Jesus went to the cross. That's love. God saw the, 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 the inhumane, ignominious way that Christ would die. He saw the scourgings. He saw the crown of thorns that was pressed into his skull. Can you imagine someone putting prickles in your thorn, in your, in your, in your brow, and pressing it down? When they put that crown of thorns on Jesus' head, they didn't just rest it there, you know. So you would say love is giving yourself for others. Exactly. I, I, I just want to know. What is, what is love in every day? How can we live out love every day? Making yourself a sacrifice. As simple as that. Okay. We've heard of stories of the war veterans that come back from Iraq and Iran. You know, people who lost limbs and stuff. And Every often you have a soldier who gets this medal of honor because he threw himself in harm's way to save his, his comrades. Okay? He sacrificed himself. That's what love is. No, no, he felt it. He felt everything. Remember, that's the, that's the whole idea of him being human. He felt every ounce of pain that he went through. Because that's what the Roman Empire meant it to be. Because they listed the things that happen in your body that kill you. Mm -hmm. And it's just the worst form of suffering and pain you go through. That's what he went through for us. Yeah, the Roman Empire was the most ruthless killing machine on earth. They sat down, they had Roman generals and scientists who sat down and tried to figure out how they can inflict the most torturous pain on the human body that they could come up with. Whatever their imaginations could come up with. 
That's what they did. And that's why, you know, when the Bible says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, you know, you think of that, that fearful part is that we are made in such a way that the human brain can sit down and come up with some of the most horrendous things to do to the human body. So when you think of how I am fearfully and wonderfully, yes, we are wonderfully made in terms of what we are capable of doing. We can multitask. We could be doing something and listening to something else and doing. Ever see your children study? Loud music blasting. And they're studying. How in the world could you study? But that's how God made the human brain. We are, we are capable of doing things like that. Alright, and we think of uh, some of those, uh, what they call child prod- prodigies. Okay, a boy 12 years old already graduated from college with a doctorate. Okay, wonderfully made. But then the fearfully made part is how People can sit down and come up with things that they can do. Uh, some of the the, the, the the torches that they can come up with. Sitting, taking a person, to, they can make a person talk, take a pliers and pull out their fingernails one at a time. They live it. They're not asleep. Fearfully made. And that's what the Roman Empire did. They sat down and they come up, they tried to come up with most, some of the most horrendous ways that they can crucify and make a person suffer. Jesus Christ felt every single thing that he went through. When they hit him with those whips, the whip had metal things in them. Some say it was bone, some it was metal strips. But when they whip him and they pull that whip back, that tore his flesh to the bone. His, his back was emaciated. You could see the bone. But he felt every, every ounce of pain. All of it. God didn't come and, and, and give him some, uh, what, what you call, divine uh, morphine. Mm-mm. He felt everything. All of it. And that's what we need to think about when we think about Jesus dying for our sins. It was He was dying in our place. We were supposed to have experienced all of that. But he took it upon himself. When it says he sweated as it were drops of blood, Dr. James Dobson talks about that condition in his book. And how you, a person could be so in so much agony that the blood, the, 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 the sweat glands rupture and blood actually come out through the sweat glands. It's called, it's called uh, hematidrosis or bloody sweat. And that's what Jesus went through. Because of the agony, the anguish. And that's why he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Because he, you see, Jesus Christ could still foresee what would happen. He saw all of the suffering. That wasn't taken away from him. He could still see the future. He knew what he would have to endure. And that was the cry that he made. Lord, I know what I'm going to have to go through. I can see it. I know what it's going to be like. Please, let this pass from me. But, no, not my will. Let your will be done. See, he went through all of that for us. That's what love is all about. He knew he would have to go through that. But he says, I love them so much that I'm going to endure it. I'm going to go through it. I'm going to take it. And so when a person tells tells you so, said, I'll put my neck on the chopping block for you, you need to ask him, you make you sure you you sure you you sure you know what you want to do? Because that's what sacrifice is all about. And our time is gone, we gotta stop. Uh, but we'll pick up uh, when we come back, Lord, Lord's Day at verse thirteen.